Well, good evening, Mosaic family. We're glad to have you here. My name's Kyle. I'm the worship team leader here. And would you stand up with us as we worship Jesus Christ, our risen, risen King? covert if I haven't had the chance to meet you yet. And I'm the communication coordinator uh, here for Mosaic. Uh, and I just want to welcome you this evening. We're glad that you're spending your Saturday 
night with us. Um, we have a lot planned for this evening, so I'm gonna jump into announcements before I hand it back to the worship team. So, um, first, if this is your first time here, we would love to connect with you. Um, if you want to text that number up there, we'd love to follow up with you. If you wanna meet someone in person, we'll have people in the booth uh, right after service, and we would love to just know your name and know that you're here. Um, Next thing I wanna tell you is about a podcast that we have started called Footnotes. So Footnotes is kind of everything that we didn't get to fit into a teach, we're doing a follow-up podcast. So uh, we have three episodes so far. If you scan that QR code, it'll take you to the Mosaic News page and you can listen to that podcast through Apple or Spotify. So those are available to you. We're really excited about them. Um, if you ever have any questions about that, just let us know. Next thing, um, this is something new for us. This, uh, we're, we're doing this October 8th, but it's called Roundtable Talks. So we know that there is a lot going on in our culture, and we want to be able to sit down with one another and engage in those topics and those conversations in ways that connect and are underneath our biblical ethic and are also respectful and give us kind of the, the tools to have those conversations in our community. So we had one of these a few months back, just kind of a little pilot initiative. It went really well. We would love to expand that to the rest of the body. So two weeks from now, October 8th, during the 6.30 service, we are going to be across the foyer in the family center um, having this roundtable talk. So the topic for this uh, first one is going to be sexuality. If you'd like to know more about that, you can head to the news page and get a little bit more of a rundown. Also, we will have childcare available if you are wanting to come and don't have a spot for your kids. All we need you to do is register your kids. So adults, you don't need to register, you can just show up, but if you would love to take advantage of the childcare we're gonna have, we will just need you to let us know that by October 2nd. So again, everything is found at the news page and that's it for me. So I'm gonna hand it back over. Thanks, Ashley. Appreciate you. Um, hey, do we have any elementary or middle school students in the room tonight? Welcome. It's okay. You can be loud. Yeah. We're excited to have y'all in here. Hey, to teach you guys kind of what, what we do is we pray for our offering every single week. So this is a prayer that was written by someone in our body, actually, that we repeat every single Saturday in hopes of creating a rhythm and a heart for giving. So church, would you stand with us as we participate in saying this prayer out loud? And students, I wanna invite you to say this prayer with us if you can read the words on the screen. So read this with me. Oh, Father, giver of all, every good and perfect gift comes from you. We ask you to accept these gifts and use them to your glory. May they bring shelter to the homeless, comfort to the sick, rest to the weary and hope to the hopeless. As you multiply the offering of fish and loaves, multiply these to accomplish more that we can ask or imagine. We give freely and not under compulsion for all we have is yours, Lord. Nothing we can give can match your great gift to us, your son and your spirit, amen. Let's sing. Who breaks the power of sin and darkness? Whose love is mighty and so much stronger? The King of glory, the King above all kings. If you know it, let's sing it. Shakes. Who shakes the whole with holy thunder? Who leaves us breathless in awe and wonder? above all kings. It's amazing. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You
things that we've also been doing as part of our rhythms is reading the passage of the night before each teaching each week. So again, just to kind of fill you you guys and girls in on what we've been doing over here while y'all are worshiping, this is a part of our rhythm. So would you uh, join us as we engage the word of God tonight? Bree, would you lead us? Yeah. Hi guys, my name's Bree. I've been attending Mosaic for about six years now, I believe. And I've been really grateful to be a part of this congregation. I've grown so much and I've just grown in my love for the Lord by the ways I've seen the congregation love Jesus and come together as one. And so, thank you. Um, I'm gonna be reading from Ephesians chapter two, verse 11 through 22. Therefore, remember that formerly you who were Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who called themselves the circumcision, that done in the body by the hands of men, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Jesus Christ, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing his flesh, the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace, and in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away 
and peace to those who are near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you who are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole body is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good evening, Mosaic. My name's Matt, and I work with the kids' team here. And tonight we're in Ephesians chapter 2, and we're also going to, at the end of the service, look at the two ordinances that our church celebrates, baptism and communion, the two practices that Jesus commanded of his church, and also the two ceremonies that we celebrate to remember him. But this section of Ephesians uh, has been titled, Made One in Christ. But Paul comes hot right out of the gate with uh, division language, language of divisiveness. Look at verse 11. It says, you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, You were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. And then he gives this separation a name, the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Look at it with me visually. We've we've reorganized the language from these two that we could see it a little more clearly. God picked Israel. They are the chosen. God established his law amongst his people. And this law fundamentally set the Jew apart from every other people group on earth. It excluded the Gentile. And unless you're a Jew in the room tonight, you are a Gentile. All right? So we, then, are the unchosen Gentiles. And the degree to which we, the Gentiles, are separated from the promises of Abraham's covenant with God, the old covenant, it cannot be overemphasized in every way. We're different, we're outside, we're separate, we're excluded. We are without hope, as the text said, and without God. Paul uses a phrase that we can use to, to simplify these divisions. It's the word sarks. Here it's, it's translated by birth and in the body. It's a phrase that means in the flesh. In the flesh. This is work at a human level. Sarks is, is a dig at both of the groups that are fighting here. Both of the groups. You are both frail apart from God. Sarks belittles both the uncircumcised and those that call themselves the circumcision. Now, circumcision was the sign of the Abrahamic covenant, the old covenant. That's the contract or the promise that God made with Abraham. Abraham and his descendants would bear in their physical bodies the mark of separation that they were God's chosen ones, the set-apart ones. And the uncircumcised, the Gentiles, the non-Israelites are those who do not bear God's chosen, uh, God's mark uh, of circumcision. So circumcision now, much more commonplace. It kind of muddies our understanding, but it would have been crystal clear in that day. Jews did it. The Greeks thought it was mutilation. They shunned it. No way. No way. So Jew and Gentile, circumcised, uncircumcised, every division within humanity is an in-the-flesh division. It's gonna fall under this umbrella of in-the-flesh. Look at this list of ways that we divide one from another. We divide ourselves by age, by gender, by race, by ethnicity, by political affiliation, by disability or ability, by culture, by education, by sexuality, 
by economic standing. You could fill in more. I'm, I'm absolutely sure you could. Division after division, all in the flesh. But let me remind or rewind just a moment. Paul, I said, used the phrase in the flesh, sarks, twice in verse 11. He uses it a third time in verse 15, and I think this shifts, uh, shifts where we're going in the passage. Verse 15, look at it with me. Christ in his flesh creates one out of two, making peace. So the barrier that the Jews and the Gentiles had in the flesh, Christ now reconciles. It's broken down in the flesh. But significantly, it's Christ's flesh, the God-man's flesh. What was accomplished in Christ? Well, verse 13 said, by the blood of Christ spilled at his crucifixion. Well, we were who were who were we who were far away in sin have been brought near. Christ is peace. It says Christ has made peace between Jew and Gentile, but more importantly, between God and humanity. Both horizontal and vertical peace. God Christ Crete preaches peace to bring all as many as will come to the Father. Now, there's a ton of allusions here to Isaiah and to some important other Old Testament texts. We just don't have the opportunity, the time for tonight. I know Ashley mentioned footnotes. Please go check it out this week. It'll be uh, very exciting to kind of dive into those there. Uh, For now, though, in sin, we are without God, without hope. But through Christ's sacrifice, through his resurrection, We, both Jew and Gentile, verse 18, have access to the Father by one spirit. And you see here this picture of of Trinity through the Son to the Father by the Spirit. Here again, the repetition in this passage, uh, picking up in 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you have been brought near by the blood of Christ by setting aside in his flesh, to create in himself and in one body, for through him we both have access. In him the whole building is joined, and in him you are being built together. And if there's some little glimmer of memory for you here kind of sparking, you might be thinking of chapter one when Nick walked us through basically the exact same thing that Paul was setting up there again. He says even there, uh, in him, through his blood, the emphasis is that it is in Christ that something significant has happened. I only highlighted uh, a few in the passage tonight, but 11 times Paul uses in Christ or a related phrase. 11 times. It's significant. It's important. It's as if to say there's just a single division that matters now and all other distinctions are moot. You are either in Christ or you aren't. Every other division is in the flesh. It's going away in Christ or not is the only one that matters. In the text, it's Jew and Gentile. And for its time, these are about as different or divided as you could get. I mean, they don't live the same. They don't worship the same. They don't eat the same. In Christ, though, all of these divisions have been put aside. And the God that can bring Jew and Gentile together today in his church brings together any and all, regardless of age or ethnicity, education, race, culture, political affiliation, economic standing, gender, sexuality, disability. He brings us all together. Now, this isn't saying we're blind to those former things. Absolutely not. It's that when we're faced with the question of in light of eternity, of what consequence is this division? The answer is, it's not. We're either in Christ or we're not, and the other things are going to go away. It's not denying or ignoring those things at all. When we look at someone that we consider 
other. We notice their flaws. We, we, we see their shortcomings. It's, it's easy to notice them. But in Christ, we can acknowledge our own shortcomings in sin. And we can comfortably say, we are all broken. When we other, we devalue those who are outside, outside of whatever group we happen to feel in on. But in Christ, we declare the value of every image bearer when we say that all matter. When we other, we tend to elevate ourselves or make celebrities of those people or qualities that we most value within our own camp. But in Christ, only he is worthy of any glory we might try to bring. If this is our understanding of what Christ has accomplished, if we truly believe that he has broken down the dividing wall of hostility, if he's put aside all our human divisions, then anytime we see someone raising a wall of hostility, we should be repulsed by it, whatever it is. Christian national, I don't care what it is. If we are raising a wall with passion that Christ in his flesh has put aside, what right have we to do that? We are either in Christ or we are not. Let's get back into Ephesians 2, 19 to 22. It says, it says here, we, we see this picture, right, of, of having told us of the horizontal peace made between Jew and Gentile, of the vertical peace made between God and men. Paul brings in a new picture. And it's not a wall of hostility any longer. It's now a temple. It's now a temple. Let me say it this way. We don't need a wall to divide us. We need a foundation to unite us. Paul says, tell all the stones, we're gonna make a building. We're gonna be cut into shape and set into place, come together into something far greater than you could have imagined. Be the dwelling place of God. the dwelling place of God, the, the temple, the site of Jewish worship, the center of the Jewish society. And Paul says, you, all y'all, the, the, the collective you, are being built into a holy temple in the Lord. The new temple is the church and the spirit dwelt believers who compose it. Utterly shocking within the context that they're saying this. One commentator said it this way, the ones formerly kept out of the temple now are the temple. Look back at verse 14 with me. It said, he himself is our peace and he has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. He destroyed it. What was it? What did he destroy? Why did Paul bring in this language? There's a handful of decent opinions or options of what that barrier is. There's some complications in the language about which noun is talking to which verb and vice versa. So there's, there's some, some different opinions here. But a lot of older commentators favored this. Look at this illustration of the temple here. This is what the, the Jewish temple would have looked like in the day of Paul or of Jesus. And we see here that the important stuff is right in the middle. And around that, this red, we've highlighted it in red so you don't, it's easy to point to there. But it, there is a, a wall that physically separates the, the court of the Gentiles on the outside from the court of the Jews on the inside. And the law forbade Gentiles from entering. And the physical barrier kept them out. Paul actually in Acts 21 is arrested because people think that he brought an Ephesian, a Gentile named Trophimus in. They thought he brought him into the, the special Jewish courtyard and, they, and so they sought to arrest him, okay? So I, I, I have to think that these, this situation is in Paul's mind and whether he has the physical barrier or just the law that the barrier upholds in mind, either way, he tells us that in Christ, 
the barrier has come down. In Christ, we aren't restricted from entering the temple. We now are the temple. God now dwells in us, making us his temple. And 22 here gives us another picture of Trinity. In Christ, by the Spirit, we become a dwelling for God the Father. It's a temple with Christ as its cornerstone, the foundational stone, the largest stone, the stone that supports the weight and of the whole rest of the structure, the, the true and straight stone that determines the direction of the rest of the build. Who he is and what he does, his person and work shapes the church. He's part of the foundation and yet he's utterly unique. He's not like the other apostles and prophets making up this foundation. He's he's set apart. And we are a temple not only built on him, but in him. And I have to wonder if God dwells in us and in this collection of temple stones gathered here tonight, Is he delighted to take up residence here? Are we a church full of people who humble ourselves before the Lord's reconciling hand, setting aside divisions, being brought into unity with him and his church? Are we, are you? Are we a church full of people who labor to hold up a dividing wall, to hold grudges, to make little of Christ and his cross. We'll pause here and return to worship and song. And in a few minutes, we'll jump into a conversation on baptism and communion. Church, would you stand with us and sing?
I'm going to read the lines that are not bold. And if you would just join in the bold lines, reading this together as a church. God of the universe, thank you that you really do love us. Even when we don't feel it, you love us. Thank you that you love to bless people. We experience your blessings every day. Thank you that you have blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. In Christ, we are chosen. In Christ, we are set apart. In Christ, we are adopted. In Christ, we are redeemed. In Christ, we are forgiven. Through Christ, you have lavished grace upon us. Through Christ, you have made known to us your will. Through Christ, you have chosen us for the purpose of your glory. Through Christ, you have sealed us with your Holy Spirit. And through Christ, you have guaranteed our inheritance. God of blessing, thank you. All things have passed. Your love has stayed the same. Your constant grace remains the cornerstone. The things that we
love you. Lord, as we look at what it means to be obedient to you in Christ through baptism, or take communion as the family, as the people of God, Spirit, would you guide us, guide our ears to listen, to hear the truth from your word. Oh, Father, we love you. We pray these things in your name. So kids, why are you in the room tonight? Hi, by the way. Hello, kiddos. Good to see you guys. You're here because we need you. The adults in this room need you. You are naturally curious. You ask questions and you ask why a whole lot. And adults can get stuck thinking or behaving some way, and they can never understand why. As an example, there's a story of a family whose kind of holiday recipe was uh, as they prepared the ham, they would always cut the butt of the ham off and set it aside. And finally, one day, somebody asked Granny, why do we do this? Like, does it make it sweeter? Or how's it, how does it move juices through? Or what's the deal? And she said, oh, my oven's just real small. I couldn't fit the whole thing. Okay, okay. So had they asked why earlier, they might have figured it out. So your curiosity can help the adults in the room find the right things to wonder about, find the right, the the things that their attention needs to go to. You might notice it and help them get their attention on it. Sometimes though, you are gonna be the one with the question and the person that you ask actually is gonna have an answer. And it's going to be the right answer, and it's going to be a chance for them to tell you about something that God has done for you. So, for example, tonight we're talking about communion and baptism, and these are two things that if you were to ask, what is it, why, why do we do it, what's it mean, you will get the answer of some story about who Christ is and what he's done for us, about what it means to be in Christ. So tonight's passage was full of words and ideas and concepts that might drive a why, and some of them are more awkward than others. I understand this happened to fall in this passage, so my apologies if you have an interesting conversation on the way home about some of those things in the passage tonight. But the overwhelming story here was Christ, who he is, and what he accomplished. So we recognize two celebrations here that Christ gave the church that help us tell that story. We call them ordinances, and in other contexts, you might have called them sacraments. Uh, but baptism and communion, they're the two practices that a believer, someone who is in Christ, participates in. They're related in a lot of ways, but let's take them one at a time. First, baptism. Baptism is our one and done ordinance. When someone becomes a believer in Christ and chooses loyalty to Christ over everything else, then they obey Christ's command to be baptized. Look at Matthew chapter 28, what we've come to call the Great Commission. Jesus here says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. The person being baptized will, in front of a body of believers, say they're a sinner, that Christ's death has paid for their sins, and his resurrection to live again forever is the sure hope that they have that they too will join him in life forever. They know Christ is loyal to them, and they are declaring to everyone that they want to remain loyal to him as well. And because the word baptize means to dip under water, well, and because we practice baptism by immersion, which is dunking, the person's literally dunked underwater, and then because people can't live underwater, they're literally brought back up out of the water. Excellent, excellent. And obviously, baptism isn't just dunking. We've all been in a pool, been pushed underwater, If you can't say that, I know you skipped swim night this year, so you should be there next year. We'll make it happen. But literally what is taking place is the dunking. Symbolically, though, this act is a symbol. It stands in the place of another story. So this wedding ring is a symbol, stands in the place of a story for me, right? You know by seeing it that at some point my singleness ended and I was betrothed to another. I was married to another, right? 
In the same way, baptism communicates a bigger story. In fact, when I watch a baptism, I see three stories. There's Christ, there's the person in the water, and there's myself, my own story. First, Christ's story. He lived a sinless life, and then Paul gives us a summary of what happened next, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, buried in a tomb like being pushed underwater, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures in resurrection to live again forever like coming back up out of the water. I see the story of the person in the water. Romans 6, 4 says, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. The person in the water lived a life tainted with sin and they came to believe in Christ, to live in Christ and they climb into the pool to reenact that personal story in a very public way. They're dunked underwater, symbolizing that their sinful self has already been baptized with Christ. This this has happened and they're showing you, uh, he's taking care of it and they're just demonstrating it again so that you can all see what's happened in their life. And then when they're lifted out of the water, almost born again from above, symbolizing that at the moment of their salvation, they were a new self with a new life in Christ, with the spirit of God living in them. They're, They're publicly acknowledging their belief that they walked out of the tub when they climb out of it and into life going, I follow him, he's with me, and I'm, my life with him is never going to end. My body may die, but my life with him will not be ever at an end. And then I think of my own story, and I'm reminded of when I was baptized in, in high school, and uh, uh, I was a, a brand new believer at, at sophomore, junior year of high school, so Uh, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. So I'm reminded seeing baptisms of his great mercy toward me of, of my own new birth, of the living hope that I have, the resurrection of Christ from the dead, and the promise that I have now that I too am a son of God through the blood of Christ. So to get really granular, how do you get baptized here? I had an email this week <laughs> saying, how, how do we do this? What, what's the procedure? If you're a, if you're a student or a kid, uh, talk to one of the family pastors. Your parents can reach out to anybody that's one of the, the family team members We'll sit with you and ask questions and listen to what your story is and just be excited with you, help clear up any confusion you might have. And then we'll get it on the schedule so that you and the people you love can all be here to celebrate with you. If you're an adult, the the path is through either a community uh, group leader or through a a pastor on the team here. I will say there was a time where we would do a huge baptism service in May and we would have kind of everybody one after another baptized and while that was really fun to celebrate that way, what it, what it inadvertently cost us was seeing people baptized throughout the year and, and just getting to celebrate more repeatedly, kind of spread out throughout the, the, the experience of just being reminded time and again. And so we're, we're not doing that big baptism service anymore, and we will do it at any point that you want to do it, okay? Um, so that's that. We can talk about communion in a minute. Don't worry about opening cups yet. Kids don't want you like trying to juggle all the things yet. Uh, but we're going to do a couple baptisms first. So Scott and the ladies. Wow. Hey church. Uh, my name is, oh, I almost stepped on this fancy guitar thing, whatever that is. Uh, my name is Scott Jones and I am the student team leader here at Fellowship Mosaic, and we have three high school students who are getting baptized with us tonight. Woo! Yeah, amen. Um, they are all they are all cousins. Uh, they're in a, they're all in cell groups in our cell group ministries. So just a little bit of a plug: if you have a middle school or high school student that is uh, is not in community and would like to be, please reach out to myself or Bethany Donahue. We'd love to get them involved. But it is our pride and joy in moments like this to be able to stand up here 
and walk these students through such a big moment of their walk with Jesus and of their life in this church. And I hope that just as they, like as their hearts are racing right now, as they're excited about what this will bring tonight in their life, I hope that your hearts are like racing a little bit too, just excited about what this will bring for our body. Because every time someone in our body commits to spending the rest of their life following Jesus, it's a big deal that edifies all of us. So first, Kennedy, come on out. Kennedy, you can go ahead and stand right over here. This is Kennedy. Kennedy is incredibly sassy and fun and kind and hilarious and all things wonderful and we love her a lot. Kennedy, are you nervous? Don't be nervous, this is a good moment. Hey, is it your testimony, Kennedy, that you have put your faith and hope in the gospel of Jesus Christ? And do you want all these people here today to know that you are committing to following Jesus the rest of your days? You can take a seat and cover up your nose there. Yeah, 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 yeah. Then it is my pleasure, Kennedy, to baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. I bury you with Christ in baptism and raise you to walk in newness of life. All right, Reagan, come on. Number two. The stairs are a little bit tight back there, I think. This is Reagan, Kennedy's older sister. And um, Reagan, your hair looks really awesome, but it's not going to look great in a second. (laughs) Hey, I have the, wow, that was a great tip. I have the same questions for you. Is it your testimony that you have put your faith and hope in Jesus Christ and his good news? And do you want all these people here today to know that you're committing to following him the rest of your days? Okay, take a seat, Reagan. It is my joy to baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Cover up your nose. Buried with Christ in baptism. And raised to walk in newness of life. Woo, come on. All right, Juliana, last one. Juliana is a little bit more new to our ministry, um, and we've seen her around cell group and other things, and we're excited to get to know her more, but we're thankful that you're doing this and getting baptized today. (laughs) Same questions. You can stand up, because I want everyone to see your face. Okay, Juliana. Well, now she's going to get cold. Is it your testimony, Juliana, that you have put your faith and hope in Jesus Christ and his gospel? And do you want everyone in this room to know that you're committing to following him the rest of your days? Okay, now you can take a seat. It is my joy to baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Buried with Christ in baptism. Then raised to walk in newness of life. Come on, church. Let's stand and give them all applause. Woo! What a joy. Hey, Nate, you want to jump in with me? No, not at all. Oh. That's so good. So good to celebrate. Communion. Don't, don't open cups yet. I'll tell you when and we can take it together. Communion. We said baptism was a one and done. Well, communion is a uh, not such a restricted thing. Jesus said whenever, whenever we take communion or the Lord's Supper that, that uh, we, would, we could remember him. Look at Luke 22 with me here. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table And he said to them, I've eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. And he took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. So he takes two common meal elements, bread and wine, and he elevates them. He makes them symbols of something far grander. And he does it for the first time at this Passover meal, elevating it as well. You'll remember that Passover was the holiday that celebrated when the angel of death passed over 
and did not kill the firstborns of Israel. It's celebrating the time when they left slavery and left Egypt, followed God out into the desert. Not just free from death, free from slavery, but now following him. And I think here we see Jesus at the Passover dinner holding bread and wine, talking about his death. And like that Passover lamb slaughtered blood on the door frame, he too is the lamb of God, the blood smeared on the door frame of our hearts, spares us from death that sin should bring. So when we take communion, we pause before we eat and drink to consider our own sin and confess to God. We might need to seek reconciliation with another believer, someone who we have offended and need to make right with. And then the table. We sit at a table with one another and we eat a meal that should remind us of when our sin made us a stranger and an enemy unwelcome here. And when Jesus's blood and body made a way for us to come to the table. He gave us a meal to share, to come around the table and say, just like he made peace between us and God and between us and other believers, he invited us to be little peacemakers. So I, I said it earlier a little bit differently, but let me just change a word here. We don't need a wall to divide us. We need a table to unite us. So we come to the table now. You can take your cups and peel the little film off the top and get the bread out. You can open the other layer and we only have these tonight again because kids are in the room. So we wanted to make it easier to hold on to for a whole service. Uh, this isn't a permanent move back to these cups. But we take the bread and we remember the, the beating and breaking, the impaling and nailing of Jesus's body. His body broken for you. Eat and remember. And we take the cup and remember the spilling by thorn crown pricks and lashing gashes from crucified limbs and spear-pierced ribs, the spilling of Jesus' blood that washes us white as snow. His blood poured out for you. Drink and remember. So like kids who can't quite reach the table, we rest upon the knee where all divisions cease to be. We eat and drink at the table and pass through the baptismal waters because in Christ, divisions, sin, broken relationships with God and with others have been mended, not just in the past, but presently mended. God is with us. We are with hope and with God in this life. Pray with me. Thank you for your body broken and your blood spilled on the cross and the life we find there. Father God, you are kind to have let Jesus do that on our behalf and we are humbled by it. May we be a people of peace, of unity, as you so wonderfully modeled and made space for for us. We love you in your name. Amen.
lift our voices one more, one more time. Just hear the voices of God's people singing praise. Father, what a beautiful sound it is to hear the voices of your people proclaiming a truth that we are found in you and we belong to you. So Lord, as we participate in these acts of worship, with baptism and communion, Lord, would they forever be a sense of joy and a reminder, Lord, that we are just bounded to you, Father. Lord, for those of us who have made that decision to follow you, what a gift it is to see Others come to you in baptism, but to participate in communion alongside one another. God, we love you. Lord, bless our church. Pray these things in your name. Amen. Hey, church, if you need prayer tonight, we'll have the prayer team around down front. And if you're new and a guest, we'd love to meet you in the foyer. We'll have some pastors out. Let's go in peace to love and serve the Lord. And the people said? See you next week, church.